Really good to hear. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good, good to have you here with us this morning. If you are here last Sunday, it was a great Sunday. And if you hadn't had a chance to actually listen to what was covered last week, we had Dr. Fergal Armstrong come and talk about addictions. And uh, through his work with Turning Point, it was a terrific, terrific morning. And I think it really shifted something in many people here. It was lovely to have uh, Naomi share her story. Leone, not Naomi, Leone. And uh, did super, super well. And so if you haven't had a chance, I can see that hand. Hi, Leone. Um, thank you. Very courageous. Good to see you. And uh, to go ahead and watch that, because it was just one of those mornings that I think that's really good for the community to hear. Am I right? It was a good morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have some. So go ahead and have a listen to that because it reminded me last week that uh, church isn't the place if you've got all life worked out. Church is not the place. In fact, church is the place where people who are repairing their lives before God, before themselves, before other people can come. And so if you have got things all worked out in your life, if you can do it all alone, then you're probably, this isn't the best fit for you um, because you don't need God, you don't need other people, you can do it all yourself. But if you're here this morning and life can be tricky, you realize the, the brokenness inside of you, sometimes the, the waywardness towards other things um, that aren't of God, and you go, I, I actually want to know what a bigger picture and purpose is for my life, then this is just the place for you. Church is a place, just to be reminded, for repair as well. And so in that theme, what I'd love to do is just continue on to talk about, Fergal said to me, sitting down here, he said, ah, oh, we could do some really good stuff together, right? There's some really good symmetry, and I love that. And I thought, okay, let's explore what that might look like. And so we had a conversation this week with the pastoral team, and I reckon there's there's more to come. Yesterday, though, there was also a breakfast. So there's always things happening in the life of the community. There's over 60 guys in um, Been in the Woods Cafe talking about men's health in a public space. I love that. Men's health in a public space. And uh, I had someone say to me, it was so, I could have just easily brought a work colleague, neighbor, uh, friend along to this event in the morning. There's always things happening. If there's one thing that you would like to be, could you could be connected into? Um, if you would like to explore God, life, and spirituality, is a coming alpha course that I'm going to be running, and other people running as well. And so, if you'd like to check out where does Jesus fit into the landscape, I don't even know who he is. Then that's for you as well. This past year, if you haven't heard, we've been talking about a theme called quietly loud. And the reason why we've been doing that is because I think that there's three downward pressures that someone who is of faith would be experienced in the current context of our community and within our nation. The first one is that this overarching downward pressure that says, I call it flat world thinking, is that all there is is here and now. We are just the sum total of molecules and atoms and that is it. That's the downward pressure that you would feel. The sum total of my life is living for the next long weekend, for the next sporting event, for the next momentary high, or just the people around me. And that is all there is. Second downward pressure is that if you do have a faith, you should keep it to yourself in that private sphere. It's not public. The third downward pressure I think that is felt is this radical individualism, this sense that I am in the center of me and if I want to be happy, to satisfy my desires is the sum total of where I will find happiness. Someone who is a person of faith carries different convictions. In the last month we've been looking at this theme, Daniel, in what it means for him, uh, living in a foreign land, living amongst a foreign people. What does it mean for me to be a God follower in that space? 
And we looked at Daniel's life and we were asking the question, how does he hold his convictions with courage, but how does he also hold them with a sensitivity to those around about him? A Jesus follower, a Christian, holds three different convictions. Apart from others, his three foundational ones. The first one is this. It's written in the book of Habakkuk. And it says this, For the earth is filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the sea. Someone who is a Jesus follower believes that there is a creation and there is a creator behind this. The most intelligible way to understand that which is around us is to actually believe that there is someone who is orchestrating. Humans are relational, creative, thoughtful, and that seems to be a plausible explanation for those experiences that we have is that there is a creator, maker God who's relational as well. And they hold that. And that the conviction that one day God will draw together all of his creation and restore it. Second conviction that a Jesus follower, a Christian would hold is, is a conviction about who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus said these words, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus himself believed that if you want to know the God life, the good life, it actually comes outwardly looking towards others. He gave his life. He died and rose again is the claim that we sang about this morning. And that through knowing him and that encounter of victory over death, you can actually know the God of the universe. And the third conviction that a Jesus follower we're picking up today would have is that when someone opens up their heart and mind to Jesus, when they say, I believe that you are the rightful King and Lord of the world, that he sends and pours forth his spirit into their bodies and their minds and their hearts to be actively at work in them. So if there's a particular image that I'd like you to take away with you or to carry with you over the next six weeks, it looks something like this. That there's a God the Father who is wanting to draw all of creation back to himself. And with the right arm of the Son and the left arm of the Spirit, he is doing so. I'd like you to carry this image with you over the next number of weeks. That God is calling all of creation back to himself through the right arm of his Son and the left hand of his Spirit, drawing all of creation back to himself. I'd like you to carry this image of what God is doing in his creation, that through the right hand of his son and the left hand of his spirit, he is drawing all of creation back to himself. And that is the promise, that is the conviction that a Jesus follower holds. And so how is God doing that? Well, it's through his son, by his spirit. And so that's why we want to pick up this theme over the coming number of weeks is to ask ourselves the question, what does it look like to have more of God's Spirit actively at work in and through His community and in and through the people who follow Him? So you might be here this morning and you go, the Holy who? The Holy Spirit? Well, if you haven't heard much about the Holy Spirit, this is for you. If you're here this morning or you're watching online, and you think, as soon as I talk about the Holy Spirit, you think, oh, that's just going to be filled with a whole bunch of emotional stuff. Well, emotions are good. But what I'd like, what I want to steer a clear of is just being emotional, but emotions are good, and God's Spirit might stir up emotions in people. 
you might be here this morning and, and there's a sense in which when I hear, when you hear the word, the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, you think, oh, are we going to get weird? Well, well, I hope we'll get a little bit weird <laughs> because when God's actively at work in people's lives, that kind of be, can be a little bit weird, but it's not weird for weird's sake. It's because of what the activity of God's Spirit is doing. So to kick things off, if you'd like to turn with me, if you've got a Bible there, if you want to follow on your mobile device, when you look at Acts chapter 1, the very beginning of when God's Spirit was actually promised by Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1, in verse number 8, Jesus said these words to his disciples, his followers, before he ascended up to be with his Father in the heavens, in that realm where he exists. And this is what Jesus said. But you will receive power. This is where we get the word dunamis or power or dynamite from. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And the question I want to ask is what kind of power? Is it the kind of power that causes you to run a marathon in, in sort of like sub, sub three hour or two hour time? Is it the kind of power where you can leap tall buildings in a single bound? Is it the kind of power that enables you to exert yourself and do 100 push-ups in, 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 in a minute and a half? What kind of power is this? And you will be my witnesses, where we get the word martyrs from. The witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth of, in regard to who I am as a result of the agency and the work of the Holy Spirit. And so that's the promise of Jesus. He said, I want you to wait for a, a sum total of 50 days when there's a festival of Pentecost and then something's going to happen and it does. In chapter 2, if you want to turn there with me, in chapter 2, verse 4, that there's a prayer meeting that's happening. And they're in Jerusalem gathered around and Jewish people from all over the world who have been spread into different language groups and people's groups have come for their harvesting and the celebration of this harvesting festival of, of the first fruits, it's called. And uh, they're gathered in Jerusalem. So there's just a swell of people. And they're having a prayer meeting, the disciples of Jesus in a room. And it starts to get electrified. And it goes like this. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. If you're watching on in that particular prayer meeting, they describe it like there's fires that are breaking out amongst them. And all of a sudden, you find there's this spontaneous action of prayer. And it gets so, if you like, enlivened in that room that it spills out onto the streets. So much so that there's people, other Jewish people, who are hearing these people who haven't learned these particular languages speaking out aloud in languages intelligible that they can hear. So this is the getting the weird moment part, all right? And the people who are listening in, they describe it like this. We hear them, that is the disciples of Jesus, uh, declaring the wonders of God in our own languages. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues or languages. You know, one of the first things that occurs in someone's life when they open up their heart to Jesus and say, I believe who you are, come into my life, is that he sends his spirit. And one of the first actions inwardly that happens in someone's life is that there's redirected worship towards the one true living God. I know this is true for me. I remember growing up in my 19s, early 20s, and the one sole focus I had in my life was to play sport. That was it, the sum total. <laughs> what I wanted to do with my life, what I wanted to achieve in my life, and even I, I oriented my job around that as well. I found there was a season in my life, though, 
in which it seemed as though God had more access to our activity in. And I found myself inwardly wanting to direct my attention to the one true living God. What did that look like? It meant that it influenced the music I listened to and I found myself in my car driving to university, putting on cassette tapes and listening to worship songs. Yesterday when we were in the cafe, uh, we had four different people talk about segments of our lives and Michael Cox talked about the spirituality segment. He said, one of the most easiest ways I connect with God is through the Spotify playlist I have and I play it where I go. I thought, isn't that interesting? One of the first things that happens in someone's life, I think, when they make room for God is that they redirect their activity towards him. It's as though all those other things start to actually find their own place in their life. And it just happens from the inside out. The lessening of other gods and goddesses to be devoted to the one true living God. Well, they're amazed in this and they said, what does this mean? And so Peter, he starts to put some of these equations together, this outbreaking of God's spirit. And he describes it like this. He's thinking and plumbing through his mind and the, and the, the, the scriptures and the texts from the ancient days. And he says, I know this is just like what the prophet Joel talked about. Joel said that in the last days, God says that I will pour out my spirit on all people, which in the first sense, if you like, Peter's putting the puzzle together and he's saying, wait a second, if God's spirit seems to be breaking out so spontaneously in this group of people, maybe this is actually the last days a Jewish person would have held this dichotomy between there was the present age in which they inhabited under Roman rule and their governance, but there was a future age in which God will break forth into this world and he will manifest himself in tangible ways as part of his drawing all people and drawing the world and the creation back to himself and that he would in those days pour out his spirit, not just on individuals, not just on one special king or one special spokesperson or prophet of God, but on all peoples. And it goes on, he says, your sons, Joel says, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, the lowliest ones, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. There's a sense in which Joel had predicted that when God breaks forth into this world in the hearts and minds of individuals and pours out his spirit, it won't be just one or two people who have special access to God. It will actually be wholesale across that young and old alike, men and women alike, will actually have more intimate contact and access to the one true living God. Wow. That's a lot to digest. And they did. He told them about Jesus. They said, what should we do? And they respond in this way. He says, Peter says, and everyone and anyone who calls on the name of the Lord and in this is exchanging the word God for Jesus, which is a profound statement in itself. Anyone who calls upon Jesus now will be saved. That is, 
they will be rescued. They will enter into from a place of being away from God to with God. They will be part of the future age to come that is broken in right now, living in these last days. And that the, the sin that would have entangled their lives has been forgiven and washed clean. They were without God's spirit. Now they're with God's spirit. They had been transformed, if you like, from, the, from a, a darkness into a light. That's how metaphorically he used that language of exchange and transfer. They will actually have the presence and the power of God that will reach into eternity, will be their destiny and hope. So Peter was saying the message is for you, and the message is for you, and the message is for you, and the promise is for you, and for you, and for you. Young and old alike, man and woman alike, it doesn't matter which tribe or tongue because it's all God is accessible now for you. So they carried this conviction that God had broken in and he was doing a new work among them. And this was exciting. Does it look exciting? Does it sound exciting to you? You're looking at me? Are you excited? Yeah. What are the activities, what are the outworkings of God's Spirit? Just as we set the scene for the weeks ahead, God's Spirit's active and work in you. What can we expect of the activity of God's power working operatively in an individual's lives and corporately in a group's lives? Well, there's some things that I think our activities and outworkings of God's spirit that are kind of normative and should be understood as being normative. It's part of someone's life who's following Jesus. The first one, I think, is this. Five things I want to cover. The spirit of God orders someone's life. If you go right back to the beginning of the Bible in the book of Genesis, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. There's this anticipation and sense that God's Spirit is brooding and hovering. And the Spirit itself, the word, is breath, word, or ruach. And so there's this sense in which God's about to do some creating and forming and ordering of things. And as you read on, he does just that. There's this ordering of this garden temple of which he places human beings in this is wonderful picture and scene. One of the first things that happens in someone's life when they open up their heart and mind to God and he fills them with his spirit is that he does some reordering of their lives. He does some ordering of things in their world. I remember some people have talked about it like this. One person I know said, when I've, I came to know Jesus, my shopping habits changed. I said, tell me more. They said, I used to be one of those people who would be lining up in queue with my shopping trolley and anyone else that tried to get in there, I would actually be like this person who would like, no, 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 I'm next. I said, I came to know Jesus, such a simple thing, but something changed in me on the inside. I was actually more than willing to say to someone else, you first, you first, which would kind of get really annoying if you're the person behind that person (laughs) and they keep on saying you first, you first, but I got the point is that there's some reordering that happens in someone's life. I remember that being true for me as well. One of the biggest reorderings that happened in my life when I opened up my heart to Jesus more fully and his spirit, I had less more inclination towards me and more inclination towards others. 
It's like what Jesus said. He came to actually serve others and not be served. I discovered that more happiness is found by looking outwardly and serving outwardly than actually just trying to satisfy me all the time. How uncanny. God does some reordering. The second thing I find that God's Spirit does, the Holy Spirit, is that the Holy Spirit comforts. You know those seasons in your life when you feel so stretched, you feel like you're at your wit's end, that there's an almost like an inner groaning in your life that, boy, the world is messed up or this situation is messed up before me now. Have you ever experienced those times in which you just look outwardly and you think, oh, it's heavy? Well, there's a promise in Romans chapter 8. It says about what the Spirit does inside someone's body and mind and heart. It goes like this. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, talking to Jesus followers. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. I've heard it described elsewhere as being sighing. One of the promises of the comforts of the Spirit of God in someone's life is that, you know those times when you just don't know what to pray or how to pray, it all just seems so hard and heavy. And you wish that God's fullness would come sooner because you just look out and it's despairing sometimes. Well, Paul describes it like this. He says, God's Spirit's actually working in and through you, sometimes when you don't even know it yourself, interceding before the Father for you. In words sometimes that some people have described this as maybe unintelligible words like a speaking in a spirit language. Others have said it's actually just this inward groaning, but God's Spirit is actually at work in you to comfort. To comfort. I wonder how we might as a community be able to pray for others, for God's spirit to comfort them in times of great hardship. I've asked this and I know, Anita, you're with us this morning and it was just last week that you buried your daughter up north. And Karen, someone you deeply loved, and I know as a community of people, we gathered around you in distance. Some actually accompanied you to help comfort you. And so what I thought it would be most apt to do this morning with, and with Anita's permission is to pray for her in that time of hardship and difficulty, of sorrows. And so if you like, I'm just going to pause right now and pray for Anita. But if you're also here this morning and you have a sorrow, a hardship, a difficulty, then I would just invite you to open your hands up too, just where you are. And I'm going to pray for you right now, exactly where you're sitting. So if you'd like to join with me. God, here in this place right now, you say your spirit comforts in words, in groanless words. And we just want to wrap our arms around Anita as uh, she buried her daughter last week. And we can't imagine, maybe some of us can, but we ask that in ways that words can't, but only you can, we ask that you might comfort her and surround her and lift her at this time. Would you carry her through this season? And Father, for those of us who are just quietly right now are saying, that's me too. We just, I ask and pray for them. That Holy Spirit, that you might comfort and restore and carry. We just hold on to you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
See, one of the things that God's Spirit does is He comforts. The third thing He does is that He prompts and nudges. There's a story in the Bible, in the book of Samuel, chapter 11, and, and it goes like this. that It's a terrible story, but there's a, a man by the name of Nash, and he's surrounded a group of people living in the village um, called Jabesh. And he says, I, I want to I overtake you. And they say, can we do a treaty with you? And he says, yeah, we'll do a treaty on the one condition. That's terrible. He says, on the one condition that we can come in and pluck out every right eye at every single person in this village. And he says, not only would that disable them, but it would be a shame upon Israel. And the king at that time, by the name of Saul, he says that when he heard this, he said, the spirit of God came powerfully upon him and he burned with anger. He gathered people and he went and overthrew before that event could take place under God's kind of unction and, and his right anger and his just anger. And there's sometimes when God's spirit actually prompts people, there'll be this sort of natural sense of this gripping on the inside and says, that's not right. I should do something about that. I had someone speak to me yesterday and they said, well, what does it look like uh, of this prompting? And I said, well, part of the things that happens with God's prompting is that you have to learn. Some of you here might have experienced a time where someone's, a picture of them comes to mind and you just hadn't been thinking of them, but you just think, I should give them a call right now. Have you experienced that before? Some of you. And all of a sudden, you just pick up the phone, you take a risk and you call them and say, is everything okay? And someone on the other end can say, actually, things aren't okay at all. How did you know? And you said, I'm just kind of, I'm practicing what it looks like to actually if you like, respond to God's prompting and nudging. That's one way. Uh, other people have described it in, in various other ways. For me, I've, uh, last week after Fergal spoke, I had people come up to me afterwards and say, sign me up. <laughs> and I said, really, we haven't not doing anything yet. And they said, no, sign me up. In fact, even when I'm speaking of it right now, some of you are reminded of that sort of twisting inside and says, I want to be involved. And when I read those words that Jesus said, he came to set captives free, there's something in you that twisted and turned and said, I want to be part of that. And so if that's you, you need to come and talk to me afterwards because we are going to explore what does it look like for us to maybe do some partnering with Turning Point and what would that manifest itself and look like, yeah? There's a prompting and a nudging of God's Spirit the next one is this, is that God heals. You know, if there's one thing I wish that I could ask God for is that why do you heal and actively work in some people's lives and not others? I'm going to save that, yeah? But I remember my time over in India when I was in villages that were remote and, and were with a group of people and their church services were a little bit like this but not outside under the gum trees over there. I remember being over there and, and they would sing, they would talk, and then they would pray. And, and I remember a lady crawling towards me and it looked as though she probably had some abnormality within her body and it didn't look. And I remember looking up at a hospital in the future and I thought there is no way this woman would ever get to that hospital. So I spoke to the pastor afterwards back in his home and I said, what happens when you pray for people and they don't get healed? He said, only Westerners ask that question. I said, what do you mean? He said, well, we've been in the habit of we don't have any other resource but God himself. And we're, we're experiencing in our place over here that God is healing some people. And, and so as a result of that, we kind of leave the other unanswered prayers to him. I like that. In other words, what he was saying is just get on about the habit of praying for people. 
What I'd love to do is to set a new, if you like, culture among us here. We're praying for one another for healing is just a natural thing. That we might do it in this space in a contextual way, yeah? Healing. And lastly, there's a convicting that comes with God's Spirit. See, Jesus said these words, when he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong on three accounts, sin, justice, and judgment in relation to sin because they don't believe in me. You see, Jesus was saying one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to actually open up other people's hearts and minds. In other words, being a Jesus follower doesn't mean that you need to grab someone's arm, twist it behind their back, (laughs) and force them to believe things. No, no. If you're a Jesus follower, it means that your task is to actually just in word and deed point to the presence of Jesus in your own life and let him work out those other things himself by his spirit. If you like, you can understand why Paul finishes off when he talks about the activity of the spirit. He says, so I want you to learn to walk in the spirit. You can have the band coming up right now. Thank you. Paul says, in light of all of these things, the different ways in which God's spirit might be actively at working in your life, I want you to learn to walk in God's spirit. (laughs) What does that look like? Well, just to set the scene for the next number of weeks, I've been thinking about my television at home. As I'm getting older, I'm finding that my hearing isn't as good. In fact, I found that over the course of the season, if you like, is that over the kind of last number of years, the, uh, the instrument, that's what the instruments, the sound box that was facing the wall at the back of the television needs to be upgraded. So I got a sound bar. Does anyone use a sound bar? Yeah, I got a big sound bar. I put it in front so it could actually force the noise forward. But if you're in my family, you'd come into the, the, the room and you'd probably say, Dad, why have you got the music up so loud? Why have you got the sound up to the television so loud? Because yeah. it's still not working well enough. So last week, my wife, Bronwyn, came home from Aldi. And she said, hey, Aldi's been having this kind of, this sale on, and and they've got these headphones. And um, I thought maybe, because it's a bit hard for you to, you know, with the sound bar and everything, maybe you could kind of just put them on, and if you connected it, that would help you hear what the television's sending out. I said, oh, wife, thank you so much. You are so considerate of me. I love it when you're considerate of me. But I wonder if one of our challenges, one of our biggest challenges in understanding how to walk more in God's spirit is be able to take, if you like, God's headphones and daily in the routine and the walk of our lives kind of put them on because I think to be able to walk in the spirit you need a new set of skills of listening and so I wonder if you would give yourself permission to do that you see because God the Father 
He's wanting to draw all creation back to Himself. And with the right hand of His Son and the left hand of His Spirit, He is drawing all creation back to Himself. And He wants to use people like you and me to do just that. So as we head into a space in a moment of communion, I'm just wondering if we might set the tone with prayer that goes something like this. God, I would like to walk more in your spirit. Because it starts with an inward desire and a heartfelt acknowledgement and request. So right now where you are, if you would like over this next number of weeks to give permission for God to reveal himself to you in fresh ways, would you just with your hands gesturing where you are, pray this prayer with me. As simple as this, God, I want to walk more in your spirit. Do you do that? Are you ready? Are you ready? God, before you now, as we start this season of learning what it means to walk more in your spirit, simple prayer that I pray before you now is this. God, I want to walk more in your spirit. God, I want to walk more in your spirit. God, would you help me walk more in your spirit? Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. In the same manner, after supper, he took a cup and he said, this is the cup, the new agreement of the shedding my blood between God and humans, a new agreement, a new covenant, shed in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. We thought just an apt way to conclude our time this morning would be to pause before God and share in a space called communion. If that's a new thing for you, you are welcome to join us if you would like to open yourself to who God is and what He's done and His Son's death and resurrection and sending of His Spirit for you. If you'd like to just listen in, then you're welcome to as well. But what I'd invite you to do is if you would like to respond to God, to hop up out of your chair, to go to one of the stations that's positioned around the room, take some bread take a cup, walk back to your chair, pause for a moment, maybe pray that prayer again or a prayer that you want to pray for others. And then right where you are, eat and drink thankfulness for what God has done for you in His Son. And then we'll sing together. Would you join us now as we share this time? So God... We thank you for the gift of your son. Right now as we pause and honour you in this space, as we eat and drink, we ask that you might 
fill us afresh. And we ask that the remembrance of what your son has done might embed itself afresh in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we come and share together?